All right, so we're in John chapter 6. As Adam mentioned, we are in week 3 of a series that we're calling I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And so we're looking at these I Am statements of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of John. So if you were to read all the way to the end of the Gospel of John, you'll notice that he says at the end that I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's why he wrote the Gospel. He is writing to anybody who will read it so that they will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's really why we're doing this series. Uh, we're looking at the I Am statement so that, so that you would come to the same place, that you would come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have eternal life. Now, it's tempting because I think some of us sit back and we hear that and we think, well, Scott, I'm already a Christian. I already believe in Jesus. I guess the series is really not for me. And here's what I would say to that. I, I think that many Christians think that the gospel is really only for non-Christians, that the gospel is really only for getting someone into the kingdom of God. But once you believe the gospel, once you believe and you start following Jesus and you become a Christian, that you kind of move on to other things in the scripture, to, to deeper teaching or uh, the red meat of, of the Bible, so to speak. And so we kind of think that the gospel is the elementary portion of the Bible. And then, and then the rest of it is kind of the PhD level, you know, the graduate level piece of Christianity. And that's a huge misunderstanding. And the thing that I would really say to that is that you never graduate from the gospel. You never move on from the gospel. Growth in the Christian life is really learning how to believe the gospel more deeply in your life. That, that really it is coming to a place of believing the gospel in the biblical sense of believing. So a lot of us think, oh, I believe in Jesus, and that's where it, that's where it stops. It's just kind of head-level knowledge or mental assent to, well, Jesus was different, and you know, he died on a cross and rose, so I believe in that, and that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where it stops and where it starts and where it ends. And so, but really, biblical belief is where you put the entire weight of your life on Jesus. That's biblical belief, where you go all in in how you live your life every single day. See, it's one thing to just have an idea that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a whole other thing to put the weight of your entire life on Jesus as the Son of God. It's like the difference between believing that a parachute will land you safely on the earth and really strapping on the parachute and jumping out of the airplane. You guys tracking with me on that? Believing the gospel is putting it on your life and jumping out of that airplane. That's what it means to really believe the gospel. And so I talked a little bit last week that we have this notion that the Christian life is this escalator of progress where we're just, we're just kind of going up and we don't have temptations and we don't have uh, doubts and struggles and, and you know, just sin issues in our life. And we've just kind of mastering things as we're climbing this, this escalator of progress. And what I would say, and what I said last Sunday, is really growth in the Christian life is realizing more and more just how sinful and broken we are. And then applying the gospel to that sin and to that brokenness as believers in Christ. That's really what it is. So all of these I am statements are absolutely relevant uh, for, for those of you who are non-Christian, you're, you're just kind of exploring what Christianity is, is all about. But I would also say that the I am statements are especially for you 
who have already believed the gospel because really growth in the Christian life is learning how to walk in that faith and learning how to believe in that every single day. So, so we're going to look today at the I am statement that Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life. So we're going to read a pretty good size of scripture today. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand as we read the word of God together? We are in John chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 1. So John writes this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these people may eat. And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus, or to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now skip down to verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And then when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the bread that perishes but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him who who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. 
So if somebody were to approach you this morning and ask you, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And you were transparent in your response. Instead of, you know, kind of just putting on the strong face, you were just really honest. What would you say? See, I think the truth is, for some of us, you would probably say, I'm not doing that great. I'm just kind of blah in my walk with God. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I, I just feel a little distant, a little detached. That's where some of you are today. I think others of you are kind of so busy running from this and that, hurrying and scurrying, you know, to and fro, that you're, you're, just, you're just like trying to just hang on, you know, and you're like, what's the question again? <laughs> you know, because you're just, you're just so, got so much stuff going on. I think others of us have been, been alive long enough where maybe you're just disappointed with God because you look at your life and it hasn't turned out like you thought. You know, your, your marriage hasn't turned out like the way you thought. Uh, your kids haven't turned out the way you thought. Your health hasn't gone uh, the way you thought it was going to go. Your job, certainly. Uh, so many things can disappoint us in our relationship with God. And then the question I would kind of throw out to you is how hungry are you today? How hungry are you? You know, uh, people all over the world have always looked to bread to satisfy them. It's just amazing how long and how pervasive bread is. Have you ever thought about that? Like uh, bread has been used by everybody. Um, the French have baguettes. Uh, the Italians have ciabatta. Uh, the Germans have pumpernickel. In, middle, in the Middle East, they have pita bread. And in America, we've got good old wonder bread, fresh from the truck. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and that's, that's the way it was in ancient times, right? People always look to bread to nourish them, to satisfy them, to sustain them. If you had bread in Jesus' day, you had life. If you didn't, you were up the creek without a paddle. And really the same is true today. Even, even in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray by Jesus, the Son of God, give us this day our daily what? Brussels sprouts, right? No, he didn't say Brussels sprouts. He said our daily bread. Why? Because bread represents life. We, we live off bread. And so how hungry are you? How hungry are you? How thirsty are you? I know you know the story of uh, Lori Laughlin. Lori uh, is an actress in Hollywood. She was sentenced uh, to two months in federal prison because of a college entrance scandal. So part of her crime or part of her punishment was that she would be, she would be on probation two years she would have to serve 100 hours of community service, and she would have to pay a $150,000 fine. That's a lot of money. And then interestingly enough, her husband received a five-month prison sentence. He also was on probation. He was sentenced to 250 hours of community service, and he had to pay a $250,000 fine. During the hearings, the U.S. District Court Judge uh, Nathaniel Gorton addressed both defendants. This is what he said, and I quote. He said, 
here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage to apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California. You both are living a fairy tale life, and yet you stand before me as convicted felons. And for what? And he closed with this, for the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. You know, there are a lot of hungry people in the world today. A lot of hungry people. And a lot of people are buying into the lie that the bread of the world will satisfy them. And it doesn't. And it causes them to keep grasping for more. What we have in this gospel story that we just read is the reality that the the bread of the world doesn't satisfy, but the bread of life does. And that's exactly who Jesus says that he is. He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am the true bread. And so here's what I want to do today, just, just briefly this morning. I want to talk to you about two characteristics of the true bread that God gives us. The true bread from Jesus. The first one is the sufficiency of the true bread, and then we're going to talk about the satisfaction of the true bread. And then I want to just talk a little bit about how we get this bread, all right? So let's look at the sufficiency of the true bread. Now, before we can talk about the sufficiency of the true bread, we have to begin at the right place. And the right place is us acknowledging our insufficiency. We've got to come to the place, if we're ever going to eat the true bread, we've got to come, we've got to, come to the place where we face our helplessness, where we face our weakness, and we face our inability to secure what we really need. We've got to face it. And here's the story. You know, Jesus has been out teaching the crowds, and the crowds absolutely loved to hear Jesus teach. They, they gathered in thousands around him. He was an absolute delight to hear, and people hung on every single word. And so he had been teaching them, and the, he tried to kind of get some time alone because he was exhausted and just kind of worn out. But the crowds just continued to follow him. And finally, he's looking out at this massive crowd, the, the number that were given, 5,000 men, which means there was probably 20,000 plus people there, including women and children. And so he looks at the disciples and he said, you know what, everybody's getting cranky and hungry. What do you think we should do? And John correctly observes that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He was just testing the disciples to see how they would answer the question. And so we know from some of the other gospels that one of them said, man, there's so many people here and Kroger doesn't deliver out here. You know what I'm saying? And so you might as well just send them home. Wrong answer. And then Philip said, well, you know, if each of us had 200 denarii, which is about eight months' wages, we wouldn't even have enough money to buy each one of them a snow cone today. So, yeah, send them on home, basically. Wrong answer. Finally, one of the disciples said, well, we found a little boy here, the only one who's prepared. He brought his lunch. You know, he's on top of things. He's got a few biscuits and some minnows with him, basically. And, uh, but yeah, what's that among so many? And so Jesus, you know, looks at him and says, bring it to me. Now, it's at this point that we, that we, that we really have to understand what Jesus is trying to do here. Jesus put them in this, in this spot. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to help the disciples see their utter and complete inability to provide what they really need. 
He is trying to help them to see and face and accept their own powerlessness to meet the needs of the day. And I would suggest to you, church, that the beginning of Christian maturity in your walk with God is realizing your absolute limitation to meet your need or anybody else's need. That's the beginning point. Where we're able to come and acknowledge and accept and embrace our weakness in the midst of daily life. That is the beginning of spiritual maturity. I really believe it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've just kind of held up your hands and you said, I just, I just don't have what it takes. You ever been there? You guys know what I'm talking about? You're just like, I, don't, I can't do this. You know, maybe for you, you're caring for an aging parent. And, and maybe your dad is struggling with Alzheimer's. And, and you're like, I can't do this. There's nothing I can do. I, I can't bring his memory back. I, I, can't, I can't turn the clock back and make him young. I just, there's nothing I can do. Or maybe you're right now listening to me preach and you're struggling, you're struggling physically and the doctor's looking at you saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. We can't figure it out. Let's start a new round of tests. Or maybe you've got a rebellious teenager and you've done everything you know to do. You've done everything the parenting books have said. Man, you prayed with them at night. You've read them Bible stories. You've done family You've done the whole nine yards. And your kid is in rebellion. And you're like, God, what do I do? What do I do? See, what I've learned is this, that Jesus will allow us to get into some places where we are absolutely overwhelmed and out of our league. He will allow us to experience some experiences where we can't meet the need of the day. We are power. We don't have a solution. We don't have the resource. He will allow us to experience those because what he's trying to do, church, is he's trying to shatter the illusion of our self-sufficiency. That we do have what it takes. Man, that, one thing about being a pastor, that's a regular occurrence. You know, one minute you're you're caring for a family that's lost a loved one. They're in the throes of grief. Uh, the next minute, you're, you're counseling a, a married couple that's on the verge of divorce. And, and then the next minute, you're walking with a family who is catching all the shrapnel of another family member who is wrestling with an addiction. And that's just Monday morning. And you're like, God, I, I, I'm not able to do this. It is, it is beyond me. And so that's the truth, isn't it? It's really the truth for all of us. It's really the truth for life. It's, it's the truth of what we've been through over the last you know, season that we've been in. And, and it's really the truth of all the uncertainty for the future. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the resource. We can't provide the security in ourselves that we, we long for and we yearn for. And so, and so there's all kinds of people living in the shadow of, in, in, the, in the illusion of self-sufficiency every single day. And if you, are th- if you think that you're competent to run your own life, I'm just here to tell you, you're going to be really hungry because you're believing a lie that you can find satisfaction and you never do and you never will. You know, it's interesting how you can 
you can be blinded by some success in your life. You know, if you lead a successful business and you're making a lot of money, you can be, you can be, you can be blinded by success. That's how poisonous success can be. Because what it does is it blinds us and then it deceives us thinking, well, I'm a success in this area of my life, then I must be a success in every single other area of my life as well. And it's a lie. Because there are plenty of people who have success in their career, but their marriage is a mess, their family's a mess, their own spiritual life is a mess, and they're just cruising right along, just oblivious to it all. And so what God has to do is he has to shatter the illusion of, of self-sufficiency in our life. He has to shatter it and, and help us to realize we are so fragile. We are so fragile. You see, we'll never understand the sufficiency of the true bread until we first acknowledge and embrace the insufficiency of our own lives and our own efforts. You see, Jesus is sufficient. But you won't see it until you realize that you are not. I don't know if you caught it, but when I was reading the scripture the miracle of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, took place around the Passover time, the Passover feast. And the Passover feast, really the purpose of that was God's way of reminding his people that God delivered his people from slavery to the Egyptians. It wasn't the people that did it. God did it. God did it for them. And how long were they slaves to the Egyptians? Was it four years? Was it 40 years? was 430 years talk about weak and there's not in the bible there's not a single account where the 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 israelites tried to form an insurrection to break free and gain their own independence not one instance they're so weak they couldn't even muster an insurrection talk about weakness 430 years they were in slavery in egypt and you know what god did god delivered them God set them free. God did miracle after miracle after miracle where it was clear that God God set them free. God gets the glory. It wasn't on their own terms. It wasn't their own effort. And then he, he brought them through the Red Sea. And then what did he do at that point? You remember your Old Testament story? So then they had to start kind of walking through the wilderness. And how long did they walk through the wilderness? Was it four days? Was it 400 days? It was 40 years. They wandered around in the wilderness because they wouldn't, they wouldn't trust God. And what's fascinating about that story is every day, every day God gave his people, as they wandered in the wilderness, every day he gave them bread. And he told them, he said, every morning I'm going to give you bread and it's going to be to my glory. And every day you go out and gather enough bread just for that day. Now, if you gather more than enough, it would instantly rot. And so, so they, the people, every single day had to acknowledge their insufficiency. Every single day they had to get up and say, God, we need you if we're going to live. And that's what God was wanting to teach them. It was his way of saying, I want you to trust me to provide. I will take care of you if you will just rely on me. That's what the miracle of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 really reminds us of. It is God who provides. It is God who feeds us. It is God that meets the need with so little. It is God that is sufficient. It was really this story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's our insufficiency running smack dab into God's sufficiency 
And that's true for your life and for mine. So do you know what it means to say, I can't do it? Do you know what it means? I mean, surely if you're a parent, you know what it means, right? I mean, you know what it, I cannot raise teenagers. I just cannot do it, you know? And, and if you had two parents, you couldn't do it. Like some of you are single parents, six parents, you couldn't do it. But the good news of the gospel is that God can do it, but we have to acknowledge our need for him. We have to acknowledge our insufficiency before we can, we can really receive his sufficiency. So I love, I love this story because you see it in verse 13. So they take the few biscuits and some of the minnows and and, uh, and so John tells us, so they gathered them up in verse 13 and filled the baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. They, they, had, they had so much left over. They had 12 basketfuls left over because you see the sufficiency of God's provision there. And that's what he was trying to show the disciples. And I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering for you and for me, do we need to come to that place of saying, God, I really need you in my life. I can't, I can't obey you in a public high school without your power and strength. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't be the parent you want me to be. I can't be the boss you want me to be. I, I can't be the stay-at-home mom that you want me to be in my own strength. God, I need you. And that's where sustenance comes from because Jesus is the true bread. Now, that's the sufficiency part. Let me, let me talk to you about the satisfaction part. Look with, me, look with me at the satisfaction of the true bread. And this is what Jesus begins to acknowledge. And this is really interesting. I wish I had more time to kind of develop this for us today. But, but look with me at verse 27. So, they, so he has fed the 5,000 and he's kind of trying to get away from the crowd. But this, there's a segment of the crowd chasing him. And so they, they engage with him. They, they're looking for him. They engage with him. And, and so, and so they're, they're really thinking on one level. We're going to see here in just a minute. And Jesus is really thinking on a completely different level, which means they're completely missing it. So let me, let me just show it to you. Look at verse 27. He says, so they come and say, hey, where have you been? And, and Jesus says, you know, he says in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, is the, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, church, listen to me. Jesus is not saying don't work for physical food. We know he's not saying that because we know other passages of Scripture say we, God's, God's given us work to do for physical food. What he is saying is don't let the fulfillment of your appetites and your desires rule your life. That's what he's saying. Don't let that be the main goal of your life. Do not, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but, but really what he wants us to do is work for the food that endures to eternal life. In other words, the pursuit of our life needs to be the real bread, the true bread, the bread that, that is sufficient and the bread that satisfies. Now, here's, here's kind of what they're thinking. Let me, let me give you kind of the backdrop to this. They are pursuing Jesus not for who he is. They are pursuing Jesus for what he can do. And he filled their bellies and they want more. And there's a group of them that realize this is a miracle. 
This man is a prophet. He did this, he did this powerfully, magically, supernaturally. He did it. We need to go find him. And they don't want Jesus for Jesus. They want what Jesus can give to them. And so what they're thinking is, they're thinking in terms of, could you imagine what this guy could do if we installed him as our king? He could put a chicken in every pot. He could put a chariot in every driveway. Can you imagine how he could kick the butt of the Romans right out of Israel? Let's go talk to him, and we'll form a political action committee. You guys following what I'm saying? And, and so they're interested in a political solution and an economic solution and a social justice solution. And Jesus is basically kicking back on him saying, look, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not why I came. I didn't come for your political agenda. I didn't come for your economic solutions. I didn't come, you know, for your, for your social justice uh, frameworks. That's not why I came. Jesus is basically saying, I came for a whole nother reason. And so I think it's really important that we, that we kind of pause here and kind of think about this a little bit because as we have, are confronted daily with the problems of our world and they are political and economic and there's a lot of social injustice in the world, we have to be clear, we have to understand while those things are problems, they're not the main problem. You guys tracking with me? Jesus didn't come to deal with and bring political solutions. He didn't come to reform the economies of the world. And he didn't even come really, you know, to, to start a social justice campaign. There are real problems in those areas. There's no question about that. But Jesus came to deal with the root problem that causes those things. You guys following me? You know what the root problem is? Sin. Sin's the root of political corruption. Sin's the root of economic inequality. Sin is, is, the, is really the root of social injustice in a society. Sin is the issue. Jesus came to deal with sin, to reconcile sinners to God and fill them with the love and the grace of God. So then that works itself day to day in relationships. That's why Jesus came. And what he's saying here is this, you need to pursue food that endures to eternal life because that is what's going to remain. Faith, hope, and love, these three remain. That's why he came. That's the food of eternal life. Now, what does he mean by eternal life when we talk about kind of working for this kind of food? What does he really mean by that? I think a lot of us are tempted to think, well, that means to kind of exist forever. It kind of means to kind of just live forever. And that's not really what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about just existing forever. He's talking about a whole different kind of life. If, if you think of it this way, if your life was filled with anger and resentment and regret and shame and guilt and selfishness and bitterness, how does it sound to you with your life filled with those things? How does it sound that you're going to live forever? What does that sound like to you? That sounds like hell to me, right? So it, it, it's, eternal life is not it's just simply existing forever. There's a, there's a whole broader and even deeper meaning to eternal life. In other words, there are two Greek words for the word life in Scripture. There is the word bios. That's the Greek word bios. And, that, and it just simply means ongoing existence. 
even after death, ongoing existence. So every human being has bios. We're going to exist forever. What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about zoe, the Greek word for abundant life. It's like life to the full, life fully present, life overflowing, goodness poured into your life. That's what he's talking about. He says, work for the food that, that, that endures to zoe life, eternal life. That's what he's talking about here. It is, it is really just being fully alive. That's what God wants for his children. Not just merely existence. We already have that. But life, abundant life. I remember a few years ago, Luann and I took, we took our boys to uh, an Alabama football game. This was, I don't know, maybe 2014. I, I can't really remember. And, and uh, so, so it was the Friday before the game. We were playing the Florida Gators. And, and uh, so it was a big game. And, and uh, the boys were just really this wide-eyed. I mean, they were walking around uh, wide-eyed. And so, um, so what we did is we started kind of walking around campus. And we snuck into the Alabama practice facility. So, yes, it was trespassing, and I didn't get arrested, but uh, I'm glad for that. But we snuck into the Alabama indoor practice facility, and either Ryan or Harrison had a football with them. I, I don't know which one uh, brought it, but one of them did. And so we just started throwing the football around like we were members of the Alabama football team. And we we're the only ones in there. And then all of a sudden, as we're playing, playing around in there, we look over to our right, and this guy walks in, and we recognize him instantly. It is the Alabama quarterback. His name was Blake Sims. And so we walked right over there to him and, uh, you know, started, started talking to him. And uh, he was really nice and really friendly with us. And so he grabbed the football out of the boy's hands and told Ryan, he said, you know, go for a pass. I'll hit you along. And Ryan ran out there and threw him a pass. And I just want to tell you, our boys experienced Zoe life at that point. <laughs> they were like, we're alive. <laughs> this is the coolest thing. And that is, ex it was just such a special memory. And he was such a gracious person. And, uh, you know, we just sensed God's blessing even in that moment. And we were fully alive, fully alive that day. And that's what God wants for his kids. That's what God wants for us. And he just wants us to see that there's only one source of that kind of life. Not an Alabama football player. Not, not flesh and blood. But Jesus Christ. That's the source of life. And I think so many times we try to fill our lives with achievements and performance and looking good and doing good and travel and money and pleasure and all of this stuff. And it just, it spoils. We, we, we gather this stuff, we buy into it, and it, what it does is it spoils, and then it just slips through our fingers. And, and I love what, you know, C.S. Lewis, he just talks about how we experience these kinds of things, and we think the thing is it. And what he talks about is really the thing is not it, it just points to it. It just arouses our desires for it. That's what it's meant to do. And so if we can get a little bit smarter, if we can get a little bit more discerning, then we're not going to fall for the world, the bread of the world. We'll give ourselves to the bread of life. We'll work for the, the, the food that endures to eternal life. I, I was reading about this, this boy in Florida. 
And uh, this is back in 2018. I don't know which city in Florida this was in. But he saw one of those claw machines. You know the claw machines where they, it's surrounded by four windows and it's full of stuffed animals. You guys know what I mean? And, they, you know, and so anyway, it's really cool. And it has this giant claw and you put in 50 cents and you move it and grab one and you get your stuffed animal. Well, the, this little boy loved this thing so much. You know what he did? He crawled into the claw machine. Here's a picture of it. And so they had to call 911 and get the firefighters. I mean, I mean, and just, I mean, he's looking pretty good there. I, I think he, he, looks, he looks really great. Now, you know what he's thinking? He's thinking, he looked inside the claw machine. He thought, there's life right there. There's life, and I got to have it. And then what happens is the things we think that give us life end up trapping us. They end up binding us and pinning us down. If you Google it, don't Google it now, but if you Google it, um, you'll find picture after picture after picture of kid, kids stuck in claw machines. So beware, beware of that. See, the good news of the gospel is only Jesus satisfies. He's enough. He's enough. And he says, come and eat. So if you, if you recognize your insufficiency and you're willing to come in faith, you can eat and be satisfied. That's it. That's it. So how do you get it? Let me show you verse 28 real fast. This is, this is so good. He says, that they, they said to him, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they just think in terms of, okay, just give us the formula. Give us the checklist. We'll do those things. You know, Jesus answered them, it's the work of God. It's the work of God, folks. That's what he says, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He, he's, he's talking about the, the, this bread is not something you earn. It's not what you achieve. It comes through faith. It comes through putting your whole weight and strapping the, the gospel parachute on your back and jumping out. That's when it comes. It comes by faith. And so every world religion, I, I'm telling you, you can do the study yourself. Every single world religion says, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this pilgrimage, you got to do this fast, follow this commandment, detach from that desire, and then you can reform your life. Christianity is in a whole other category because Christianity says, Jesus did it for you. So come in faith. And there's just two distinct categories, and Jesus and Christianity is in a category all by himself. God did the work of restoring to us the life of God in us. And so he is the meal for our starving souls, provided that we would just come in faith and come in humility, that we would, that we would take and eat and receive it. What's interesting about the bread the bread's a great illustration if you think about it because for it to nourish us, we have to, we have to break it. So, so the bread can't nourish us until we put it in our mouth and start tearing it apart with our teeth, breaking it down. It has to be broken for us to nourish us. Water has to be poured out of the cup before it can nourish us, right? And so it's really a great gospel parallel because Jesus allowed his bread, his, his body to be, to be our bread, which was broken for us. Jesus allowed his blood to be poured out so that we could have life. See, he took our place. He paid our penalty. 
And he gives us life. And that life is friendship. The bread of life is connection with God. It's friendship with God. It's relationship with God. And it's a relationship based on faith. Just like all of our earthly relationships are. Relationship based on faith. So, let me ask you. How are you doing in your relationship with God? Are you walking by faith? Are you relying on him and the sustenance that he gives? Because the good news of the gospel is if you're hungry, he'll meet you right where you are. If you're willing to just face your own limitation, your own powerlessness, your own brokenness, if you're willing to just own it, God will meet you right where you are. Isn't that good news? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread of life. We thank you for sending it to us. And we just humble ourselves in your presence and we live, we love, we, we live in a world that loves to, to just put on this outward show of strength and, well, I've got my act together, I've got my whole life together. And we love to play that role. We, we love to put on that facade. We, we love to wear that mask and just kind of pretend that we got it. But God, I just thank you that you know the truth about us and you meet us in every place that we're in. And so God, I just pray for our congregation today. Lord, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just meet us right here today. God, that, that, we, that we would just partake of your grace and mercy, that we would receive your spirit, that we would receive your grace. So we just confess we need you. We confess we're desperate for you. God, we confess we've blown it so many times. Sometimes the same sin over and over again. God, we just confess it to you. Thank you that you, you never grow tired. You, you never grow frustrated with us. You, you, never, you never stiff arm us. You just love us and you just offer your bread. So help us to see that only you satisfy. Help us to humble ourselves and gather around the table just to eat of your goodness. You have plenty. You never run out. I just want to give you a moment to pray. Just silently to yourself. Just, this may be the first and only time all week long that you've talked to God. Well, he's here. So just take a moment and worship him, praise him, thank him, ask of him feed off him today.
we're reminded that men and women and students don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so God, we just receive and we believe. We thank you and praise you. And all of God's people said,